1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program on this Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, wherever you're tuned in on the SEN app. Hope you're having a great start to the day. An absolute perler in Sydney town early this morning. Coming up today, the changing landscape of Australian sports broadcasting. Of course, the Amazon deal with the ICC has been announced. So we'll pick our way through that, and I can give you some first-hand experience on what that all means how it happened, and also possibly we could discuss what the future could look like, especially, say, for NRL. Now, when you look at sports broadcasting rights in Australia, you focus on three big things in particular. Um, Well, domestically, you focus on NRL, AFL, and, of course, the cricket deals as well. Then you've got tennis and Olympics and what used to be Commonwealth Games, all that. But the future could look a little bit different. And how did Amazon get into the marketplace at the moment when there is a ring put around most of the sports which protects free-to-air TV from the streamers and subscription pay TVs getting the exclusivity that they so desire? So, well, have a good look at that, and I want to know what you think the future could look like and what you're prepared to do, because believe me, folks, it's coming. It may take a while, but it's coming. In fact, most of it is already here the technology's already here, and we're already seeing streaming giants making their way into the marketplace. So we'll discuss that at length this morning. Plus, Mitchell Johnson gives a please explain around that of David Warner and George Bailey. And also this morning, I'll be speaking to an athlete and a coach that will absolutely inspire you. The athlete from the beach, four-time NutriGrain grain Ironman Series champion, nine-time gatta Gold champion, Ali Day will join me This morning, 33 years of age now, he's a parent, he's got his second child coming next year and he's about to embark on another Nutri-Grain Ironman series, which as I said, he's already won multiple times, not to mention those nine incredible Koolangatta Gold victories. Ali's got a great perspective on life, he's got some great insights on what it takes to be that kind of champion and also how much things change. Once your surrounds start to change, once a little tacker comes into play as well. So believe me, you want to stick around for that. He's one heck of a good man and he's one heck of a competitor as well. And Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah, the Sydney Kings coach, you've heard him quite often here on SEN. It's my first chance today to have a chat to Mahmoud. So I'm really looking forward to that. And a couple of the things that I want to talk to him about outside of basketball as well. Because I went back and looked at some videos and and had a good um, good dive a little bit deeper into what he was expecting from his trip out to Australia, his association with the Kings, the league itself and Sydney and also what his family was expecting as well. So 12 games into the season now, he's been on the road a fair bit. They come back from Perth, they're heading up to Cairns, then they'll come back to Sydney on Sunday. They're sitting fourth on the ladder and the Sydney Kings in the NBL are a great story. So, an athlete and a coach that'll inspire you this morning and also make you smile, I reckon. So stick around for that. It is curveball Tuesday, of course. So throw something at me this morning on 1-300. Yep. Showing about a throw something this morning on 1-300-01-11-70 or oh four five seven seven three six seven three six, and I'll take a swing at it. Anything you want. The TV deal, how all that plays out. Um, The Kiwis coach, that's an interesting one. The New Zealand Rugby League CEO Greg Peters has had his say on that after we brought you the news yesterday and commented on the fact that Wayne Bennett's now interested, of course. Well, the NZRL decided to move away from Michael Maguire because they didn't like the pathway system. Wayne Bennett is certainly an influential man. He's not involved in State of Origin at the moment, but he wants to do the job. Greg Peters has said, we respect the interest from anyone I shouldn't take the mickey. We respect the interest from anyone who has a passion about coaching the Kiwis. We've seen Wayne's interest, but we'll advertise the role, throw the net far and wide, and see what we can drag in. (laughs) See, I don't know if you're dragging in Wayne Bennett. uh, You select Wayne Bennett at this stage of his career, perhaps, or maybe you think otherwise. So why don't you throw something at me this morning on Curveball Tuesday. We have a lot of fun with that one because sometimes I hit, sometimes I swing and I miss, or other times I'm just left standing at the plate. The best will win a Signet Boost Power Bank this morning. Now, Mitchell Johnson, let's get to this. He says the sandpaper scenario back in 2018 and then some text exchanges with Dave Warner and George Bailey more recently fueled in part, his stinging article. He's also said that he's disgusted at Bailey questioning his mental health branding it childish and condescending. So he's had his say on the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show, which is co-hosted by Barat Sundarason. And he stands by his words, but also gives us an insight into where a lot of this has also come from recently. And you got the feeling that there was a little bit more to it. On the fallout with David Warner and the question around that, he discussed the messages, the text message that he got in April. It was around the time that Candice Warner had said on the back page program about their not being openers good enough to take his position. These are Mitchell Johnson's words. He said, that's when I responded to that and then got a message from Dave Warner, which was quite personal, and I tried to ring him to talk about it, which I've always been open about with the guys. It was never a personal thing then. Until that point, when he got the message, that is what prompted me to write the article or part of it as well. It's definitely a factor. Some of the things that he mentioned in that message, I won't say. It's up to Dave to say if he wants to talk about it. There was some stuff in there which was extremely disappointing, he said, which he had said, and pretty bad, to be honest. That sort of was a bit of a driver, is what Mitchell Johnson has said on the podcast. So he hasn't backed away from what he's said in his article. He has regretted saying the Bunnings sandpaper thing, and so he should. That was just a bit of a slight that wasn't there. It was a jab that I reckon wasn't needed. But he's also given us an insight into where a lot of this has come from. And there's obviously this text exchange that you can trace it right back to. He said, George Bailey, why bring in Bailey? Well, a bit of that as well. He sent me a message after the Lance Morris article about Morris being rested in a Shield game. And it was condescending. Typical George sort of stuff, he said. When you receive it... In the odd hours of the morning, I think 3am, he goes on to say it was disappointing. And then he admits that he was probably set off by receiving a message from him and not showing the respect to make a phone call. So let's go back to what triggered all of this. He's got underlying thoughts, which he's absolutely entitled to about 2018 and everything that played out there. And he's got underlying issues off off the back of these text message exchanges that happened earlier in the year. And then he puts it into words and the whole thing blows up yet again. Overnight, uh, David Warner's very outspoken manager, James Erskine, a long-time, uh, long-time manager, had this to say about his client in defence of Dave Warner.
2: You know, David Warner's played 109 test matches and, you know, got an average of 44.4, 44. 4, got over 8,500 eight runs. So if, if anyone listening thought that David Warner wanted to play test cricket for Australia, if he didn't think he was up to it, you know, then it, it, they're wrong. He's, he's been a battle all his life. You know, he's a guy from the wrong side of the tracks. He's a guy that's, you know, gone and scraped a living and gone and done this and been very successful at it. But yep. he, doesn't want to just, he doesn't want a swan song. He, wants to, he thinks he's the best guy for the job. And I I think the figures show it. But, you know, I think if he goes and gets two ducks in the first test match, they'll drop him. But, you know, he won't.
1: There you go. James Erskine putting it very succinctly, in my opinion. If he gets a couple of ducks, they'll drop him. Let's not forget that when they made that move on the Ashes, when they made the selection call on the Ashes, the selectors made it clear that they were looking at the first two tests. The first two tests. So let's build from the first two tests and then you see where you go from there. So they were under under no illusions that they were picking a side for a series. They were picking a squad for a series. And the same situation you would think would be playing out here. And David Warner still hasn't made the team as yet. They've announced the 14-man squad, but not the team. So we now have a bit more of an understanding, in my opinion, of where Mitchell Johnson has come from. Some of it's personal text exchanges, some of it as a former Australian player and somebody who thinks a bit differently and now an opinion writer stems back from 2018 and Sandpaper Gate. Now, the general public don't have text exchanges, so take that one off the table. We don't have the experience of playing test cricket, so let's take that off the table. But we've all got our opinions on what happened in 2018. And... Some say move on, some say should never have been allowed back. That's just going to keep going back and forth. And Mitchell Johnson has now had his say on it. Of course, Usman Khawaja was doing some media yesterday and he backed Davy Warner. I'll play you a little bit about that a little bit later on. Now, the streaming situation. So we now know that Amazon is here in Australian sports broadcasting. They've been here before, and I'll get to that in just a second. But here they come when it comes to cricket. They will take over all of the ICC's broadcasts for the next few years. Amazon Prime Video will have exclusive broadcast rights for the 2024 Men's T20 World Cup in the West Indies and the US, the 2025 Women's World Cup in India, the World Test Championship Final at Lourdes, and the 2027 Men's ODI World Cup, our defence in South Africa, Zimbabwe and Namibia. Now, the reason why they can do that is the locations that I've just told you. All of those uh, tournaments and finals are not being played either in Australia or New Zealand. And that's why they can have exclusive rights under the anti-siphoning law, which protects a whole stack of sports on behalf of the free-to-air networks. I can go through the detail of it for you throughout the course of the show to give you an understanding of where it's at. But essentially, if any of those were being played in Australia and New Zealand and the free-to-air networks wanted to have a crack at them, they would have had the right to have had the crack first. However, we're talking about the T20 World Cup in the Windies in the US, India for the Women's World Cup, of course, the World Test Championship Final, and then South Africa, Zimbabwe and Namibia for the Men's ODI World Cup. So Amazon went, we'll have it. We will take it. What does it mean for you? It means that the 448 matches there... Unless they decide to do a deal, which they won't, the 448 matches will only be on Amazon Prime Video, so you're going to have to pay for them. Just like if you want to watch anything that's exclusive on Fox or KO, you're going to have to pay for it. It also means it won't be on free-to-air television. This is the second time that Amazon have had a crack at a sports broadcast deal in the Australian market, and I was part of the first. I hosted their coverage of the Australian swim trials, for Tokyo and Birmingham, respectively, in 2021 and 2022. That was Amazon's first taste of sports broadcasting in Australia. And I got an insight into how they think about it, what their plan is, and why they want to be in it. What really sort of knocked them back a little bit at that time was around COVID. They couldn't get here. The Americans who were driving it couldn't get here. We obviously did a whole stack of Zoom, and we were in touch with them the whole way, but their physical presence wasn't here, and I reckon that sort of put them on a little bit on the back foot. But here they come, and you've only got to look around the world to see what they're doing, and it's not just Amazon. It's streaming giants, obviously, but they've got deals in place with the Premier League, ATP, WTA in the UK, UEFA Champions League in Germany and Italy, and the big one is the NFL. They have paid, Amazon has paid $1 billion per year, $1 billion, for a 10-year rights deal to broadcast Thursday night football in NFL. That's it. So they average about 12.2 million viewers for Thursday night footy. Now, what does 12.2 million viewers really mean? To a free-to-air network, it means a big number that then they can take to advertisers and try and sell. To a streaming company... It's 12.2 million people, essentially, who are paying for the right to do so. If it's 10 bucks each or it's $20, 25 bucks, if it's $99 for the year, they're getting that money off the amount of people that are watching, right? Subscription-based. And further to that, remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about what Amazon's been doing over there in the NFL. Their Thursday night footy moved to a Black Friday match and a Thanksgiving special where they rolled it all in for the very first time with the biggest shopping day of the year and then parlayed everything that they've got under Amazon and Prime and Prime Video. So the biggest shopping day of the year, plus the biggest sports watching day of the year, plus you could have sat there and screened, uh, used your QR code on your phone to look at your screen and make special purchases under Amazon. So that's the bigger picture at play. So what does all this mean? It means that the events that I've just listed go behind the paywall. It means that free to wear will put more pressure on the government around anti-siphoning, which is locked in for another three years or thereabouts. It shows how serious Amazon and the streamers are for exclusive sports content in Australia. And I would say be prepared for more one-off deals with major sporting rights in this country and a fractured viewing landscape. And then, then, when we get to the big deals... Next time the NRL is up, it starts to get really funky. Because what if Amazon want to come in and have a crack like they've done with NFL? What if they say, give us Thursday night only? We'll take Thursday night. What if Fox say, okay, well, we'll keep Saturday and maybe Friday as well. And then free to air say, well, give us one of the matches on Sunday and maybe another free-to-air say, give us one of the matches on Sunday. And what if they say, you know what, Papua New Guinea have coming in. Let's, why, don't, why don't we have Monday night football back? Then we've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to offer to free-to-air networks plus streaming giants. Then we've got Origin, then we've got Grand Final. And if you don't think it can happen, just have a little look at what's already happened in the NFL. They signed an 11-year, $100 billion deal with CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, Amazon as well. That's five major players, not to mention ABC, Disney, Paramount Plus, all in the picture as well. So they've spread it far and wide because they can get the money and the streamers can get your business. What does it all mean? It means that you become a direct customer of the viewing platform and the content that is being put on it. So I'm happy to discuss that one with you this morning. 0457 736 736. Daniel Brettig from The Age, the chief cricket writer at The Age, will join me after the 9.30 news. Simon Hill will be on the line. Mahmoud Abelfat, uh, Abdel Fattah from the Sydney Kings will be my guest this morning. And so too, four-time NutriGrain Iron Ironman series champion Ali Day. Plus, it's Curveball Tuesday. Throw something down the line. Let's see if we can hit or miss this morning. We are back after this break. It's 21 minutes after nine on this Tuesday morning. Welcome back on the text line, 0457 736 736. This one, as we turn our attention to football, and I'll have Simon Hill on a little bit later. Man City are a protected species, says our listener. Harlan should receive at least a three-week ban for his referee abuse and comments on social media. What happens? Nothing. Um, And then goes on to go into some other examples. The Premier League hierarchy are a joke. So Man City were charged by the FA over their players' behaviour and it was that draw against Tottenham, 3 all. Um, several stars, including Erling Haaland, surrounded Simon Hooper, the referee, after he fought the play advantage in the closing moments there. On Monday, FA issued a statement saying City had been charged, although Haaland didn't receive a ban for his outburst. They've been charged and... The allegations are that they failed to ensure, the club failed to ensure their players did not behave in a way which is improper. <laughs> so I'm sort of reading this as you, as I'm going through it. Now, those who are in this game much more than I can maybe decipher that, or am I deciphering it the right way? They're saying that we'll charge Manchester City with a breach of the rule, and we'll say that during the 94th minute of the fixture the club failed to ensure that their players didn't behave in a way which is improper. So we're going to point the finger of blame at the club for failing to ensure that the players didn't behave or uh, behaved in a a manner unbecoming. Uh, No name on that text, but I think you're right. As I read that just in situ, I'm going, okay, well what happens next time? What happens next time a player runs up and headbutts a referee, for instance? I mean, I'm taking it to the extreme, but does the Premier League then come out and say, well, Liverpool, um, we know that the player went and headbutted the referee, but it's the club that has failed in its responsibility to say you shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't make much sense to me in terms of what kind of ban he should have been looking at or others should have been looking at, I'm not too sure. Maybe you can sort of give me some examples around that as well. Um, But yeah, interesting how the club has been the one that's been saying that they failed to ensure, I mean, what else are they gonna do? What is the club meant to run out there and say, don't do that? the club just cop a fine. Sounds a bit stupid to me. Matty, what I would love to see is for New Zealand Rugby League to have a state of origin the same time we do. North Island v. South Island. I think it'd be amazing. Rate very highly. And it'd be a great pathway system for New Zealand Rugby League. That from the Spring Farm Eagle. Thank you for that. Perhaps, um, maybe, North Island v. South Island, maybe that could work. I mean, the the initial one for me would certainly be um, having a rivalry, having a rival, a domestic rival to the Auckland Warriors, wouldn't it not? And then by virtue of that going towards towards where you're saying, and perhaps running simultaneously, but we don't want to we don't want to take away the audience that we get from the New Zealand Rugby League of State of Origin. So definitely don't run it at the same time is uh, what I would say on that one 0457 736 736. we'll talk cricket with Dan Bredig from the Age and Sydney Morning Herald after the news well as we mentioned there's a heck of a lot going on in the world of cricket and I'm pleased to say the chief cricket writer at the Age Daniel Bredig is on the line g'day Dan g'day Matt how are you this morning? I, I I can imagine that you're juggling a whole stack of stuff. We've got the fallout from Mitchell Johnson, we've got Amazon's new deal coming into the picture, we've got the Prime Minister's eleven on on tomorrow, starting tomorrow, and then the Pakistan series ahead of us. Where should we start this discussion? You want to start with the TV deal?
3: Sure. Well, yeah, that that Amazon deal is a um is a big change. I mean, if if you're thinking about people's viewing habits in Australia, They've generally expected uh, to see Australia playing at home on free-to-air TV um, and they've generally expected to see Australia playing away from home um, on Foxtel with the occasional, um, say, an Ashes Series or a World Cup uh, final on, um, on free-to-air. So uh, it is a big change. I would expect that this deal is not necessarily going to be entirely... Um, exclusive to Amazon. Once we get to the next 50 over World Cup, which by the way is obviously not until 2027, um, I'd imagine that there would be the chance that you know the Australian games and maybe the finals might end up being um, shared with a with a free to wear network, as was the case um, in the uh, in the World Cup that we just uh, that we just saw. But certainly to move from Foxtel to um, to Amazon is a is a is a huge change for um, a lot of people's habits.
1: Yeah, it's a monumental shift, in my opinion, because it announces the serious arrival of Amazon. They've they've had a little crack at it, and I was part of it, Dan, when we did the swimming a couple of years ago. But now this announces Amazon into the marketplace, and they've done it through the ICC. They haven't had to come in domestically. They've gone to the ICC to do it. And I reckon you're right, too. I reckon by the time it gets around, depending on where streamers are at that situation, but by the time it gets around to Australia's defence there's every chance that the Australian games will be shared because they can offload the cost. However, we've always got to remember that streamers and subscriptions go for exclusivity. That's where they make their money. So an interesting one for, for us to follow on that one. Um, now, the Mitchell Johnson fallout. Um, I've, I've seen what he's had to say in the podcast, and he hasn't backed away from what he said, but it's given us probably a better insight into where this has come from. A, we've got 2018 and Sandpaper Gate, and B, we've got a text exchange between Dave Warner and Mitchell Johnson and George Bailey and Mitchell Johnson as well. So there's a personal side to this along, along the way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, um, uh, you know, reading through it myself, one of the things, and, you know, it's something that we experience working as, um, working as journalists. You know, where does the onus lie to reach out and have a conversation um, in terms of the process of writing an article or you know or, or an opinion piece. Um, it was interesting to hear that, um, yeah, that there'd been a response from George Bailey to Mitchell Johnson after he'd written about Lance Morris and questioning why he was being wrested from games. And um, I think it's probably fair to say that the way that fast bowlers are managed now has evolved a fair bit since 2015 when Mitchell Johnson retired. So I thought it was yeah, it was it was interesting to hear that there sort of there hadn't been an exchange between them before that article was was written but there obviously was subsequently. And yes, and in the case of in the case of David Warner there's um you know, it was it's it was obviously um a bit I guess you'd say untidy um that there was this sort of public exchange going on between um between Mitchell and and, uh, and Candice Warner um and uh, and and dave i guess having his um having his say uh, in the in the middle of that um i was interested as well in terms of mitchell's kind of thought processes in his um podcast interview with barrett Sundaraisen that um yeah he's still figuring out kind of you know what's the what's the ideal tone for these opinion pieces you know how how hard do i how hard do i go how do I remain authentic to what i 'm thinking and feeling and seeing, um, but also kind of managing you know yeah exactly how hard do you do you go with these things and and um, and the fact that um, yeah there was a there, there certainly was a kind of a personal um, a personal tone to to this one that uh, he he may reconsider in future
1: <laughs> yeah he 's experiencing everything at the moment isn 't he the fallout to that um you know, needing or perhaps wanting to stand by it and give some further reasons and also regret. He regrets making the Bunnings sandpaper comment and, and we all do that, don't we? we? We say or write things that perhaps the next day we go, probably could have done that a little bit differently. So I reckon you're right. You know, I think that part of the explanation's kind of interesting and the insight into what Mitchell Johnson has been thinking have been interesting as well. At the crux of the issue, Dan and I got into this yesterday, is around David Warner and the farewell test. And I put that in inverted commas um, in particular, the so-called farewell test at the SCG. It's my understanding that there was never an expectation from David Warner that he would have a farewell test. There was a hope and perhaps a little bit of pressure (laughs) put out there publicly. Mm. What What are the people that you speak to Within cricket circles, saying about that, do they ever, do they think that David Warner expects a farewell test, or do they think that this has all been beat up because David Warner said he hoped for a farewell test?
3: Oh, I think it, there's no question that that um, that he that he wanted one, but um, I suppose the the two words that uh, sometimes get missed in the conversation is if selected, and um, you know, in terms of uh, if you go back to the timing of when. When Dave Warner uh, made mention of this, it was before the ashes after he'd had a um a difficult tour of India where he didn't make runs in the first couple of tests then went home injured with a uh, with a hairline fracture of, of his arm and um I think there was uh well there were there were two things there was not a a great deal of um run scoring form behind him, but I think there was also an expectation from the team that if he was to play, he needed to play his role in terms of you know what's complementary to Usman Khawaja. What are the What does the rest of the batting order need from him now? In the Ashes, he didn't have a great series, but he had a much better series than he had in 2019, and he also contributed to some to, to some key partnerships with Khawaja at key stages of the uh, of the series. If you think about the Lords Test, where they batted first in really difficult conditions. If you think about um, uh, the uh, second innings of the Edgwareson Test, where they're making a fourth innings chase, and then you think about the um, uh, the second innings at the Oval, where they put on a very good opening stand in the in the last innings of the series. So, there were enough signs there that Warner was contributing, and in a I suppose you say in a, in, a, in a judgment of, of of him versus the the next available options, the selectors still clearly think in you know what has to be a pretty narrow call that he's still offering more than the next. Um, the next cabs off the rank might be able to offer in in these in these three test matches. So, you know, it's a, it's an argument that not everyone's going to have the the same opinion on. And you know, Mitchell Johnson's obviously very much entitled to say that he um he has a di- he has a different view. And and, and I think that's uh, that's kind of where it uh, where it stands.
1: And on those that will be pressing for the spot, depending on if they're going to look outside the current group and and not shuffle around the order. We'll get a clearer picture, won't we? Marcus Harris, Matthew Renshaw, Cameron Bancroft um, all taking part in this Prime Minister's Eleven. I see Michael Ness has been ruled out so they're bringing in Jordan Buckingham and it's probably more with with uh, Michael that they just want to make sure that he's, he's there if they need him across the summer. So out of the three batters that I just mentioned there, do you lean towards, say, what Ricky Ponting's been saying, that Bancroft is leading that pack because then they look at Harris or then they look at... Renshaw, been there, done it? I mean all three have been there.
3: Mm. If you look just at run scoring aggregates, you'd say that Bancroft is at the head of the queue. But selectors uh of lots of generations over the years have always said, Well, we don't just look at aggregates. That's why we have selectors. It's not, you know, the team's not selected on a on a statistical, purely statistical basis. And I think one of the things I mentioned earlier is <clears throat> Warner being a complementary player for Usman Kawaja. Kawaja scores at a fairly steady tempo. Warner um goes out and and plays with a little bit more um positivity. Now what I'd imagine that the selectors would be hoping to see in the Prime Minister's eleven game is that um Bancroft, Harris, Renshaw, wherever they bat, whatever the, you know, the permutation of the batting order is, um, that they show some intent to score and they show some uh, willingness to try to put bowlers under pressure. And I think that's really a, a key thing to being a um, successful international batter against good quality bowling. Um, if you're just going out there to survive, you might occasionally make a make 100 over six hours. But quite often, a good bowler who puts the ball in, in the right spot consistently is going to find a way past you. So you've got to put pressure on them to bowl you some more bad balls.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, I reckon it's going to be fascinating, mate. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, the way that we've been looking at this summer ahead of us in terms of the test cricket with Pakistan and and the West Indies. But uh, already there's so much juice coming out of the squeezed lemon. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving the, the drama around it. And then the PM's 11 in the mix as well. Appreciate your time this morning, mate. Thanks so much. No worries, Matt. Give us your thoughts on that, folks, 0457 736 736. And I'll play you a bit of Usman Khawaja talking about the scenarios around batting with David Warner and, and, and the opening partnership. Daniel Bredig there from The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, the chief cricket writer at The Age. Uh, we will take a break. We're back after this right here on SEN. All right, we've got our first curveball on this Curveball Tuesday, and it comes from a crime scene who said, batter up. So I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the plate for you, crime scene. And the text on 0457 736 736 is, is cricket's deal with Amazon a sign that it realises that it's a niche market sport and no longer mainstream? Uh-huh. So there's your curveball at me. No, uh, it's a couple of things. One, it's Amazon in particular making a big, big play in this marketplace and using the fact or knowing the fact that the ICC tournaments sit outside of Australia and New Zealand and therefore sit outside of the anti-siphoning list. So that gives them exclusivity on it. And in terms of no longer mainstream, well, the World Cup in India broke ratings records for Foxtel and KO. So 500,000 viewers almost watched the final on Foxtel and it had 2.5 million streams and on Channel 9 there was 1.6 million viewers plus watching that final alone. So you'd have to say that it's absolutely mainstream but let's not forget, this is not all cricket. This is just the ICC tournaments that cover World Cups in particular plus the World Test Championship and they're offshore. And that's why they can do it. The anti-siphoning list, you can find it on, online quite easily, but it covers a whole range of sports. And the whole process behind it is giving free-to-air broadcasters the first opportunity to buy the television rights to major events that they put on the anti-siphoning list, which comes to the minister's discretion, essentially. And the anti-siphoning list covers a whole range of sports. Olympic Games, now Summer Paralympic Games, Commonwealth Games is still on the list. The Melbourne Cup is on the list. AFL and Rugby League, and there are some details around that that are interesting. Rugby Union, mostly test matches. International matches are on the list. And then cricket test matches. They changed it just in the last week to include and make it more specific around men's and women's. So a lot of the women's side of things has been have been added on afl nrl rugby soccer cricket as well um tennis is in there each match of the australian open netball is in there each semi-final or final of the world cup that involves an in an australian team and motorsports the formula one race in australia the moto gp world championship race in australia and the bathurst 1000 are all on the anti-siphoning list So that means that the free-to-air networks have first crack at them. And what they're doing there is trying to protect free-to-air plus you to make sure that the biggest sports at the moment continue to be available to -to free-to-air. It doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, that they have to show them. The free-to-air broadcasters can buy the rights and not show them. In fact, they could also not show them live They don't have to show the event live. They can broadcast the event later on. If you're going to spend the money, you're going to show it, obviously. But that is in play now for the next few years, and the adjustments have been made, as I mentioned, in the last couple of weeks. And then there are some other provisions around it, whether they can take certain um, sports off a list and when you can have a crack at it, all that kind of stuff. So there you go. I hope I answered that one crime scene, but... No, um, it is not the fact that they view cricket as no longer mainstream. It's the changing, changing landscape of sports broadcasting, and a big one too. Matty Warner's just lucky no one's been knocking down the door to replace him. If there was, he would have been dropped a few years ago. That one from Matt from Brizzy. or maybe now's the time for us to have a quick listen to Usman Kawaja on how hard it is to open the batting when discussing moving players in the batting lineup, and give you a perspective here of how he thinks about David Warner. Opening's not easy. It's tough work. Uh, I can tell you that, because I batted one, two, three, four, five, six for Australia. And I'm telling you, by far, opening is the hardest. And it's very hard to bring you know, someone who hasn't opened in. I, I'm positive if you put Marnus up there at opening, he would do very well. But would he do as well at opening as he does at three? I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to take the risk. The man averages 55 at three, and the average is 60 at four, or 60 in general. So you wouldn't want to mess around with it too much. Opening can be a very, very tough thing to do mentally, more than physically. So I'm always a bit shy of not letting people who haven't opened much in the past to open the batting. So there you go. It goes to that theory around selecting the 11 as to what they want for the entire team, the makeup of the team. And in terms of opening, who's at the other end? <laughs> so if you're Usman, who do you want to see at the other end? And if you're Dave Warner, who do you want to see at the other end? So a lot goes into it. There's also a bit around Queensland cricket and the refurbishment of the Gabba ahead of the Olympic Games and everything that goes with it. And Usman Kawaja in a very measured tone, has had a fair bit to say, which we'll get to uh, later on in the program. But essentially, he's worried that Queensland cricket could be bankrupted by the fact that they might have to fund um, an interim solution. He's not happy about it. We're back after this. A very good morning and welcome to our listeners joining us on SENQ 693 in Brizzy for the first time this morning. Thanks for your company. We've got plenty of discussion going on around, well, everything, sports broadcasting in Australia, cricket, of course, as well. We're going to catch up with Simon Hill soon. The Matildas play Canada uh, tomorrow afternoon over there after that 7-0 uh, loss, or sorry, 5 0 loss in the opening match, and what Tony Gustafsson has got up his sleeve next time around. There's a fair bit to cover there. NBA will keep our eyes across with the in season tournament. My special guest this hour will be Ali Day joining me, four time Iron Ironman Series champion, a nine time winner of the Kulangada gold. He's now 33 years of age, and it's been wonderful to watch his career just absolutely flourish throughout the years he's one heck of a competitor and the Nutri-Grain Ironman and Iron Women series is kicking off at Manly Beach in Sydney on the 16th and 17th of December so what they're doing is six rounds on three separate weekends starting at Manly going to Maroubra and then finishing off at Currawa so 16 and 17 December at Manly which will be rounds one and two 13th and 14th of January will be rounds 3 and 4 at Maroubra. And then the 3rd and 4th of Feb will be rounds 5 and 6. Georgia Miller defending her title and Matt Bevilacqua defending his title, both from the Northcliffe Club and both claiming their 2nd Nutrigrain Nutri-Grain Series title. So make sure you stay tuned for that one because I promise you that Ali Dale will make you feel inspired this morning. Also give you some insights, I reckon, into how to juggle... Life as a new parent, I mean, he's got a a two-and-a-half-year-old son and he's got another one on the way. He's achieved everything in his sport, but he's still driven to achieve more. And Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah is the Kings coach in the NBL, the Sydney Kings, travelling up to Cairns on Thursday to take on the Taipans, and he's a great story as well. Then they've got the Southeastern Melbourne Phoenix on Sunday, the Sydney Kings. But what about life for Mahmoud in Sydney? And in Australia, this time last year, he was at the Houston Rockets as an assistant coach. And we'll talk to him about what his former um, staff members and friends over there think about the NBL. The changing landscape of Australian sports broadcasting is a topic that I'd like to broach with you this morning as well. Amazon have done a deal with the ICC, which will mean that, All of their World Cup tournaments and the World Test Championship final in between now and 2027, including the men's ODI World Cup defence, will be exclusively uh, belonging to Amazon Prime Video. They've had a crack at the market in Australia before with the swim trials in 21 and 22 ahead of Tokyo and Birmingham. And now they've come back in big time. Not domestically, but they've come back into the Australian sports broadcasting market so i want to know what you think about that i mean a lot of people here pay tv essentially or streaming and go oh, i'm sick and tired of paying for everything well we're going to be paying for more the government has a whole heap of um, mechanisms around sports in australia to try and ensure that the biggest ones end up on free-to-air tv and that's called the anti-siphoning list but it gives you an insight into the future of what we will be doing not too far down the track when it comes to viewing our sports. And I would be watching the NRL like a hawk in this space. Now, the free-to-air networks in Australia won't want to let go of Rugby League, and we're talking down at 2027, and Foxtel won't want to let go of Rugby League. And we can throw AFL into this mix, but let's focus on Rugby League. But there's a template there for Amazon in particular, in America with the NFL they've already got Thursday night football and they paid a billion dollars per year for it one game Thursday night footy per week and they view and operate differently to a free-to-air network free-to-air network has you as a viewer sitting on your lounge or wherever and now you can access it say on nine now or seven plus however you want to do it but remember that the streaming services see you as a customer. They don't see you as a viewer, they see you as a paying customer. And not only that, if you're at Amazon, you'll go further into their world and buy things and subscribe to, th- subscribe to things and pick out movies and do all that kind of stuff and have people knocking on your door while you're watching the footy delivering things that you just ordered because there's a QR code that pops up on the pre-match entertainment. You get where I'm going? <laughs> they see you as a customer and they know exactly what you want and it could be a game-changer. Mitchell Johnson has given his Please Explain around that spray at David Warner and George Bailey, and we'll hear from Usman Khawaja and his thoughts around that. Yesterday, James Erskine, who's David Warner's long-time manager, came out in defence on Sports Day right here, and it's Curveball Tuesday as well, so just throw anything at me is how it works. I mean, it's pretty simple, and sometimes I'm going to get it, sometimes I'm going to swing and miss, and that's all right. If you want to talk about the Amazon situation and what it means, happy to go down that with my experience in that regard. If you want to talk about the Mitchell Johnson slash David Warner slash George Bailey now slash manager as well, we can talk about that. Uh, And selections ahead of the Australian summer of Test cricket. We've got the Prime Minister's 11 starting tomorrow. And then in Rugby League, the Kiwis have said, we're going to throw out the net and let's see what we can drag in in terms of... Coaches who might want to coach our national team after Michael Maguire has put all his energies now into State of Origin for New South Wales. And Wayne Bennett's put his hands up. They've said, yep, we've seen that interest, but we're going to advertise the role. Throw the net far and wide. And meanwhile, the Penrith Panthers, just when you think it might be done and dusted somewhere else, the Panthers CEO of Rugby League, Matt Cameron, very impressive man, has said, We'll get Jerome back in the building on Friday and pick up our conversation from there. As in, we'll start talking serious when he gets back to training. We've been 100% transparent with him and he's been 100% transparent with us as to what is going on. And there's no rush from us. It sounds like a positive, positive attitude from the Panthers and perhaps they do have a little bit more in their kit to throw at Jerome Luai. On David Warner, the stats are quite interesting when you look at his recent tests. So let's say the eight test matches this season, this year for 2023, and we won't count in the New Year's one with South Africa, the eight test matches against India and and England, so three against India and five against England, the average is 25.3. But the average, when you put it into perspective of the Pakistan opposition that are coming up, or the Pakistan team, he's played best against Pakistan in his career, and he averages 83.53. I'll throw some numbers at you, and they will blow you away. The Matildas v Canada, of course, tomorrow, game number two after that 5-0 loss. Plenty going on in the A-League as well, and Premier League, has got you're talking. So the global game will have it covered. Simon Hill, good morning to you. Let's start with Tony Gustafsson and the pressure and the situation that he's under. He's been here before with these kind of losses heading into heading into the World Cup, for instance. Um, what do you think's going on over there with this Matildas team against Canada? Good morning, mate.
4: Uh, morning, matey. Look, I, I think, first of all, it's important to put this into context uh, that this is a friendly series. Um, and while the results of the weekend was not good, and um, I, I think some of the criticism was, was certainly justified uh it, it is still a friendly series and obviously he's taken the opportunity <clears throat> excuse me to, to blood some of the uh, players that he hasn't seen uh, either before or too regularly um and that's is what friendlies are for let's be brutally honest about that having said that do you throw them all in together that's a different discussion entirely and and that's where i think you know some of the discussion around uh, the matildas is is completely justified uh not many people seem to like um, having in-depth discussions about the Matildas. There, there, there seems to be a bit of a backlash when when you you know try and analyse things from certain yeah. quarters. But you know that that's what comes with with having a team that's made the World Cup semi-finals. Uh, you know there's going to be an in, a very intense scrutiny about the team, and uh, that's healthy for the game of football in this country. Um, I, I think he'll probably make changes for the second game, probably you know, restore some of his more experienced players uh, to the starting 11. And on the back of that, we'll probably get a better result or certainly a better performance. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, as I say, it's a result that has to be put into context while at the same time, um, you know, they, they must accept that the, there is criticism that's going to come their way. When you put in a performance like that, that's just the way of the world.
1: Totally. It's got to be analysed and it's got to be critiqued. And that's the double-edged sword, isn't it? You've got everybody talking about you, but you've also got more expectations and probably more um, discussion around you, which is always going to be good and sometimes it's, it's going to be hard to hear. But that's the situation for Matildas against Canada tomorrow afternoon. I had a chat with Alex Broski yesterday and we spoke about Terry McFlynn, so a former Sydney FC player and Broski knows him well. He's going to be the new director of football for the Auckland um, A-League's entry, which is going to come on in, which I think is... I reckon it's a really good move on behalf of the A-Leagues, and we discussed this as well, mate. But the, the move from from them to get somebody like Terry McFlynn, in your opinion, um, does that set them up? Does that does that look good for them as they set up this brand-new club?
4: Yeah, of course. Look, it's the very first building block in a football sense after after they were announced that they'd got the license, and uh, Bill Foley, of course, the American uh, who also owns Bournemouth and uh, I think a couple of uh, franchises in, in the American sports uh, landscape. Um, and he will need that local knowledge, you know, even though he has a presence in New Zealand via his business, uh, he probably doesn't know the football scene too well locally, and Terry does. Uh, So I'm sure he will, you know, start to shape what the football department looks like, uh, who the coach is going to be, uh, what the playing style is is going to look like and uh, the players that need to be acquired uh, to deliver that. So I think it's a very good first step. Uh, Terry's a super guy. Uh, He's been in this neck of the woods for many, many years. He was with Sydney FC right from the outset. So uh, he knows this league as as well as anyone and um yeah, it's it's a good appointment by Auckland, I think.
1: Yeah. I, in Premier League, so I had a text this morning from a listener about the Man City situation on the on the weekend and Erling Haaland and the blow up towards the referee. And one of my listeners said that Man City are a protected species. And then I went through What's happened <laughs> what's happened what's happened thereafter that, that the oh, club wouldn't be a
4: Liverpool fan, would he?
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was no name and no pack drill on it, but possibly, yes. But here's the thing, right? Yeah. So the the club were charged with a breach of a certain rule, and then it said that hmm. it's alleged that during the ninety fourth minute of the fixture the club failed to ensure their players do not behave in a way which is improper. Which which grabbed my attention. I'm like, well, hang on a second. Where do you stop with that kind of rule to say that the club should, then, and let's take Manchester City out of this for a sec, but where do you stop with that rule to say if a player goes up and does something to a referee, the player would, would, never, be, um, would never be held accountable for that if you're going to continually fine the club for saying, well, they didn't tell the player not to do it?
4: Well, first things first, I don't think Man City can be a protected species if they're being charged with misconduct. So, I mean, that's (laughs) a load of nonsense for a start. Secondly, to be honest, uh, you know, I I, I take my Man City hat off here. I think it's right that they've been charged, even though I completely disagree with the decision of the referee. uh, it's, It's one of the big problems in our game that we don't respect officialdom. Uh, now, in my in my opinion, he made a big mistake on Saturday. But you know, people do that. It's called being a human being. They make errors, and we've got to protect referees an awful lot more. Uh, and if it takes, you know, a charge like this and a fine for City, I mean, it's it happened earlier on in the season. Jurgen Klopp got got a fine for, you know, getting in the face of a fourth official after after a refereeing decision. The problem with our game at the moment, uh, it's the biggest problem, in my opinion, is that we have zero respect for our officials. And every single week, we're talking about refereeing decisions rather than footballers. I hate it. It's a, you know, it's, to a large extent, it's the same in the a League here and right around the world as well. And VAR, in my opinion, has exacerbated that. I'm not going to go down that road. You know my feelings on that um but we have a duty of care to officials and uh the game to to stop this crowding of referees this abusing of referees on a consistent basis because they don't have a voice you know they're not allowed to talk to the media so they can't bite back and say listen this is why i made the decision 99 percent of the time they're right 1% of the time, they're wrong. Sadly, I think this particular decision by Simon Hooper at the weekend was wrong, but that does not mean that he deserves to be lambasted from pillar to post by players, managers, uh, fans, etc. And if you look at Pep Guardiola's post-game interview, actually, he actually says, when asked the question by the reporter in the post-game interview, I am not going to give you the sort of answer that got Mikel Arteta in hot water. And really, that's what we need. Uh, we need, you know, managers. They can have an opinion whether the decision was right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can't have this constant going after officials because statistics show that we are losing referees at an alarming rate, and we're going to get to a point where we're going to have nobody left to officiate the game. Why would you mm. want to do it? All you get is abuse. I
1: mm. hope they get
4: paid well. Well, in the Premier League, you know, they probably do to a certain extent, but nowhere near the players. Uh, In the A-League, I would imagine for the three, I think there's only three full-time referees. um, They'll be on a full-time salary, but it certainly won't be, you know, enough to retire on within 12 months. The rest are doing it part-time. And I think we forget that, you know, they're doing it because they love the game. And I know a lot of referees in this country, and by and large, they're great people. They love the game. Um, they don't deserve this. And the sooner we protect them, um, you know, much on a much stronger basis, the, the better, in my opinion.
1: Yep. Well said. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Plenty for you to discuss on the global game at eight o'clock tonight, uh, Eastern Daylight Saving Time, right here on SEN. Thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, matey. Simon Hill joining us there. Let me know your thoughts on that. I think he's he's put it so well. I mean, at the the whole centre of that issue is the protection around referees. And 99% of the time, yeah, I reckon he's spot on. They, they get everything right. They get most things right. They get much more right than they do wrong, but they have no recourse aside from the fact to just cop it. In this scenario, I wonder whether you stop it by stopping the player from doing it versus saying to the club, you're responsible for the player. Anyway, we'll wait and see on that one. 0457 736 736 is my text line. Uh, Curveballs. We'll get to some of those after this break. Curveball. This one from Matt says, okay, here's a curveball. Davey Warner reels off three centuries against Pakistan. Does he retire? Of course not. Hence my curveball is Warner to play on. (laughs) Well, it could be. It's a possibility. As I mentioned, he's played 10 test matches against Pakistan, scored 12, uh, 12, <laughs> 1,253 runs. Highest score, 335 not out. Average, 83.53. It ain't bad against Pakistan. And in Sydney, he's had scores of 113 and 55 against Pakistan, 154 in Brisbane, and that 335 not out in Adelaide. Uh, and that was back in 2017-19. Let's go to the open line. one 11, 70 is on the line. Paul, uh, you can kick us off for this bit. So referees in sport and how they're treated. Your thoughts?
5: Yeah, look, they, they've got to get proactive on this because they're losing them in, in such great numbers. And the thing that gets me is the people who are most savage, and I'm going back to the junior levels, the blokes who wouldn't be able to blow a whistle after they've run five metres trying to do it. What I think... It's it's on each code to have a doco series on what is required to be a referee, what they do to prepare for each game. That's at the senior level. But also give an indication of what is required, what they do at a junior level. But also... Let the guys talk, not after a game. That doesn't work. They're not, they don't have to explain their decisions. But if you do it in a doco series format, these guys can explain how they officiate, by what standards, and what they won't cop. And I just think the sports fans who are harshest on them need to see it from them.
1: Yeah, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah, that's not a bad way to do it. And you've got to educate, don't you? I mean, when you look at other sports, I've been watching a fair bit of NFL recently, and you rarely see players go up and get in the face of the officials in that sport. I mean, I get that everyone's fired up and I get the emotion in it, but it's in and has been part of that sport for a long time. And I'm talking... Premier League soccer, in particular, but soccer around the world, and of course, they remember that they, the whole yellow card for descent thing, and the threshold for yellow card is to be reduced or was to be reduced. So whenever more than one player approaches the referee, at least one of those players will be shown an automatic yellow card. So you're right, education's the key. It's a bummer that you've got to, we've got to be in this position to do that. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that one. News is approaching. Well, let's get to our man, the bag in WA. Good morning, mate. Broadcast deals, that's got your interest this morning.
6: Yeah, good morning. It, it staggers me, the amount of money that uh, gets thrown at some of these sports and the amount of money that's there, but in
1: some respects, I, I guess, Maddie, that the future of some codes really relies upon the entertainment deal that they're able to achieve. Oh, 100%. There's no doubt about it. Any COVID, if you remember COVID, and let, I'll, I'll put it into rugby league um terms for you you remember COVID what it exposed rugby league to in particular the NRL was the fact that all their eggs were in the broadcast basket so if the broadcasters went down and believe me mate that was perilously close but if your broadcaster went down and the money goes down with it they had nothing left and that's why part of the rebuild where they've expanded their portfolio has come in so Broadcast deals make up such a huge piece of the pie that you have to have it and you have to have a secure one. And now what they've got is they've got more players in the broadcast deal market. They've got competition for the free-to-air broadcasters. They've got competition for Foxtel and Optus and Paramount Plus and all that kind of stuff. So you are 100% right. That's where most of the money comes from and that's where most of the money will continue to come from but we're going to have to get used to watching it differently to the way that we watch it now, especially when I think about footy.
6: Well, conversely, I suppose like the biggest sports are always going to be all right. Must be, there's the amount of mediums that are out there to get that advertising dollar, but if a broadcaster gets it wrong, say, for a lesser sport, let's say rugby union, and they don't get the people watching, well, the actual broadcaster is going to be in plenty of strife as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I'd say it falls more back on the sport itself because the broadcaster can always go off and find another sport. Um, and Rugby Union, I reckon, is a really, really good example, especially Super Rugby, the way that it is. It's, it's essentially disappeared off the face of, of what we think about because it's not in front of us. And, and they can just quite easily shift their focus. They go, OK, what's the next thing? And let's put our investment into netball, for instance, Super Netball, and let's make that sing and dance and give us subscribers. That's the interesting part here. When we think about the future bag of, of the way that we look at and, and consume our sport, we have to take ourselves away from the fact that we go from viewers, and believe me, the networks will tell you, the free-to-air networks will tell you that they think they know who you are. They don't. But when you're a customer of a streaming um, giant in particular, they know exactly who you are. Because all of your data and details are right there and you're paying for the privilege of, of, of doing all that. So that's the difference. We've got to get ourselves out of the fact that we are just gone from viewers into consumers and we're paying for this, so we should get what we're paying for. And to me, I think that the consumer can benefit out of that. I think that that can only add competition to the broadcast space and make everything better and also take technology into it as well. Anyway, we could go on for a long time about that, but there's a lot more to it um, and a lot more coming our way. Thank you for that. The bag ringing in from WA. We need to get to the news. Ali Day will join me on the other side. Four-time Nutrigrain Iron Ironman Series champion. Well, we've been talking about the sounds of summer on the program over the last week. Is there a better sound of summer than a crashing wave and the Iron Ironman and Ironwoman series roaring into action because it gets underway... 16th and 17th of December at Manly Beach and it is a six-round over three-weekend series and I'm pleased to say that one of the absolute best in the business, a multi Iron Ironman Series winner, a multi and gutter uh, cool Gold champion, Ali Day is on the line. G'day, Ali.
6: Hey, Matty. How are you going, mate?
1: I'm good, thanks. Great to catch up with you as you look towards another summer. So before we get to what's ahead, tell me what's been happening. How, how has the block of training been as you come into the summer months?
6: It's been really good. It's been really good, thanks, mate. We finished our Australian titles at the start of the year in April and I had a bit of time off. And then, uh, you know, being 33 now, I didn't take too long off. So I've gotten back got back into it pretty pretty much straight away after a couple of weeks off and trained for the cooling out goal which I was really uh successful in again I had a and then on the weekend we had our first round of the the Shore and Partner summer surf series and I got second in that so going from a four hour race to a, a nine minute race on the weekend always a challenge but the body feels really good um and you know I'm excited about seeing where I'm at next weekend as well.
1: As somebody who's followed your career, Ali, all the way through, and and you just mentioned you're 33 years of age now. You've been around a long time. It blows my mind that you've won nine Cooling Golds. I think you've won the race every time that you've started in it. I mean, it is mind-blowing. Just just tell me what it's like for you to reflect on that kind of number because one would have been hard enough. It's
6: nuts. It's nuts. I I did the race first when I was an 18-year-old. I went up and I sat... you know, talked my mum and dad and my teachers at St. Joseph High School in, you know, at Albion Park to, to let me do my HSE exam so I could do the under-19, cool and go to gold. And it was a failed attempt. I got fifth and said, I'll never do the race again. And a couple of years later, I won my first. And, you know, when you hear things like that, Maddie, when you just said to me that you've you've won it nine times, it's just, yeah, it hasn't fully sunk in. Will it ever sink? I'm not, I'm not sure. But just to train for it, just, you know, nine times is, is something I'm really proud of. And, the pressure builds every year. I, I wouldn't lie that it's, you know, that the target gets bigger and it gets, you know, it, you know obviously being 33, it gets harder to prepare for an event like that. So um, it's something that it's, it's my favourite race along with the Ironman series and, you know, I've won four of those now and I'd, I'd love to add another one of those in the next couple of months.
1: When you go back, when you're a young bloke and... And you've now achieved everything, I guess, that you, you, that you wanted to achieve when you got into the sport. But when you were watching the telly as a young bloke and you saw these guys come through, who were you looking at going, that's the kind of athlete that I want to that I want to follow?
6: I'll probably mention the whole field here, mate, but I'm a bit of a sports <laughs> tragic in particular, an Ironman tragic. So I still, you know, only yesterday I was still watching old highlights of the Uncle Toby series as well as the Kellogg series. And... Um, I think it just just to mention a few names, Wes Berg was one that that I idolised. He was from my area on the south coast of New South Wales, and then probably more recently, um, I still remember you know the rivalry between Kai Hurst St. Holmes and the Eckstein brothers. So, you know, as I said, I could mention the whole field there, but they're, they're the ones that I sort of wanted to be like. I still remember you know watching their races and then running down to the beach in kaima with with my nipperboard board and. You know, wanting to have the red rival togs that Kai Hurst wore with the drawstring hanging out. So it's it's cool and it's very special to be in a position like I am now, like doing interviews with you, mate. And as I said, it's I'm I'm blessed with the career that I've had, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of years um, before it, before I hang the togs up.
1: You're a father now. You've got a what a two and a half year old son. Um, you you've got another baby on the way, I believe as well. So mm. things certainly change. How much have you changed? as an athlete, to fit everything else around what you do in the water and on the beach? Oh, it's, changed.
6: it's changed, obviously, a fair bit, and, and all parents know that, but it's, it's, you know, the best change in the world. I would think, I would, I would have to say, I mean, a few years ago, everything had to be perfect. I'm an athlete that had to work really, really hard to get to the point where I'm at, and I think now, I only said a few days ago in an interview, that nothing can be perfect now, you know, because... You know, I'm not the priority at home. Uh, our, our two and a half year old and, and the baby on the way, and my wife being pregnant is, and um, so it's just. I guess when I'm at training, I'm at training, and when I'm at home, and at home, it's a, it's a great balance. And as I said, it's nothing can be perfect. You know, so many times last year where you know you're all sleeping in the same bed, or someone's sick and he's brought something home from daycare. But I wouldn't want it any other way. It's made me so much more adaptable as an athlete, and I really think that that's like a. You know, it's an advantage for me. You know, the little things that used to worry me once upon a time probably don't so much anymore, and that's because of, of having a family. And it's again, Maddie, it's special to be traveling with, you know, traveling with my family. I got second on the weekend, and um, you know, my son had the medal around his neck the whole way home from the Sunshine Coast back to the Gold Coast. So it's it's moments like that I'm I'm really trying to cherish and just try and enjoy, um, you know, while they're there.
1: There's a couple of parts, isn't there, to what you do. And one is your surf craft. One is also the disciplines that you've got to master. And the other is just fitness, just flat-out fitness. So what's the balance there at this stage? And in, in, in when you look at what you've got to prepare, how much work do you put into the disciplines that you've got to master and the surf craft that you've got to do versus how fit you've got to be?
6: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think early on in the piece you have to do you have to do a lot of hard work and and don't get me wrong, the hard work's still there, but you know, training as a 33 year old in comparison to training when I was 23. It it looks a lot different. I think it's more quality over the quantity now. Um, And as I said before, you've got to be a lot more adaptable to what's going on in your life as well with, with family and with kids. And, and, you know, as I said, being 33, your body can't handle as much of the workload. So a lot of it now is just back, it's based and backed on experience of what you've done before. And, um, I've got a great team of people around me that, that guide me, and you know, as I sort of said before, like I'm a, a guy that doesn't really like to leave a stone unturned. I'm a pretty prepared, sort of organized person, or a very prepared and organized person. So a lot of it now is just it's more mental, to be honest, mate, and and just getting the feel for, um, you know, your board, swim, ski, run, and and you add add in on top of that your Pilates and your gym and stuff like that. So it is a it is a tough sport. It's a multi sport, but um, I mean, that's. I, I feel like that's, you know, that's exciting for us. The beach is never the same on any given day, so every afternoon we get to go to the beach, and it's, it's as I said, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing time in my life at the moment. I'm definitely going to miss it in a couple of years' time, and as I said before, I'm just trying to soak it up um, these last couple of years anyway.
1: Yeah, it's one of the cool things about your sport is the variables that are thrown up. I love the look made of the Nutrigain series that's ahead of us because it's six rounds, it's three weekends so it's rat-a-tat-tat stuff. You start at Manly, you go to Maroubra and then Currawa, but it's it's a lot of work in a condensed period. So rounds one and two there at Manly, and then three and four next time I'm at Maroubra, and then back up to Carrawell on the Goldie for five and six. So when you look at that, and you look around at the competitors that you've got, what are you expecting across the course of this Nutrigrain series?
6: I think I say it every year that it, you know, and the, and the journalists must get a bit sick and probably think I am saying cliche, but honestly, each year uh, there is a new crop of young guys come through. The guys that were young are now more experienced. And then the, the older guys are still racing really, really well. So for me, you know, a lot of it's obviously just focusing on what I need to do. But you obviously need to as well uh, look at what other guys are doing and, and, and also, like, you know, know what their weaknesses and strengths are as well. So you, you look at someone like Matt Matt with that won the series last year. Ben Carvery was, was runner-up in that. You'd have to think those two guys are pretty hungry to either go back-to-back or... Or Ben to try win it again for the first time, and then you've got guys like Joe Collins that's you know three or four years into his career now he's got a good feel for how the series works he's won a few races now so there's a handful of guys like that and then we've got some new guys like debutants in the series that that are doing it for the first time that that have no pressure to perform so history shows that if you start really well um, in that first round particularly I think it's history shows if you win that first race that guy generally goes on to win the series. So you want to start fast. You want to bank some points. And as he sort of said before, Matty, over six, over three weekends, six races, um, in a pretty condensed period of time, you just got to remain disciplined, remain injury-free, remain healthy, and you'll go a really, really long way to, um, to winning another Ironman series, or I will anyway.
1: So Matt Bevilacqua, the defending champion from North uh, Northcliffe, and Georgia Miller, of course, won the women's title from Northcliffe as well. Both of them claimed their second titles in the last series. Um, before I let you go, have you had a swim this morning? I think the water's about 22 degrees. Now, you're originally from the south coast, so you're okay with cooler water. I was just uh, I wondering, say that, you know, <laughs> wondering now that you've been up in Queensland for so long whether it's okay around the mid-20s for you. Is that enough for you to get your toe in this morning?
6: I've uh, definitely softened up over the years. I still remember (laughs) racing. you and all the Queensland guys coming down to New South Wales and racing at Bondi. Yeah. I remember the the x brothers getting really cold in the water. I thought, what are they complaining about? But I've definitely um, softened up a little bit. And would you believe it, mate? I'm standing over, you know, the beautiful Bondi beach and the icebergs. and I don't have a towel. So I might try to grab one after I jump off the phone to you, mate, and, and see if I can go for a swim.
1: Get in there. Have a great series, mate. Um, awesome to catch up. Congratulations on everything that you've achieved. I mean, your sporting journey is certainly not over and done with yet. So we wish you all the very best and look forward to seeing you and everybody in action in the Nutri-Grain Ironman and Iron Women series. Um, it's all going to be on SBS, and it starts at Manly Beach 16th and 17th of December. Good on you, Ali. Hey,
6: Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.
1: NBA 2K24 is out now. We'll see you on the court. Let's do an NBA update because the in-season tournament quarterfinals begin in about 50, 40 minutes time from now. So the Pacers, Celtics first up and then the Kings will have the Pelicans later on. So that's the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament. And make sure you stay around for the final hour of the program. Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah from the Sydney Kings will join me. The... Coach of the Kings as they head towards the Cairns Taipans. In cricket news, as I mentioned a bit earlier, uh, Michael Ness has been withdrawn from that Prime Minister's 11 match against Pakistan. So it's mostly as a precaution ahead of the summer. Jordan Buckingham will replace him. Four-day game at Manuka Oval begins tomorrow. Chief Selector George Bailey said we're going to take a cautious approach with Michael. The elevated risk potentially another large bowling load in the four-day fixture was deemed too high. The management around players uh, is quite extraordinary, the way that they look at loads and the slightest sniff. But let's not forget that Michael Nesser will be, will be there um, throughout the course of the summer. Now, Lance Morris has jumped ahead of him in the squad for the first test uh, against Pakistan in Perth, joining Scotty Boland as a backup pace option. So... The most recent of Michael Ness's two test appearances came against the West Indies in Adelaide last summer. He took Pfeiffer for the match and he was also called upon to join in the World Test Championship final squad and the early stages of the Ashes Tour. Remember, he was over there for his county side, Glamorgan, going absolutely nuts. (laughs) Absolutely nuts. So Jordan Buckingham comes on in and then, of course, we've got the scenario for Marcus Harris, Matthew Ranshaw and Cameron Bancroft. three leading candidates to fill David Warner's spot who will all be in the team. So what are they looking for? How will it play out here? And what do they need to do to press their case? In terms of the weather, should just take a quick look at the weather around Canberra over the next couple of days. It looks fine. So match starts tomorrow, sunny, maybe a couple of showers around for the back end of the week, but it looks as though they'll get the majority of play in. Um, but that's the scenario for the Prime Minister's Eleven. I mean, really, when you look at it, the three names that stick out there are Harris, Bancroft, um, and Renshaw. And a lot of that focus will be on them. And also, to the Pakistan squad and what they can deliver in that as well. How good was Ali Day? It was so great to catch up with him and have a good chat about where he's at, what he's achieved, and also his mindset around the summer ahead and how things change. The older you get and more priorities, different priorities come into your sporting life. Um, it's not so straightforward. Here's something from Ricky, which I really like. Something different on the text line for 2020, T20. He said, The other night, the commentators in India mentioned the possibility of a double play in T20s, allowing both batters to be run out in the one play. So you take a catch and you have a shot at the other end, batters out of the, out of the crease, and you can run them out. I really believe that this could add something. What do you think about that folks? Are you up for something like that in 2020 cricket? The double play. I reckon it would add quite a dimension it might mean that um, the games come to a close quicker than we think <laughs> but it would also mean that there's just something a little bit different off the back of a catch. Catch got to turn around and go for it. So yeah let's discuss that one this morning. Give me your thoughts on that. one 300 1170 the final hour of the morning right here on SEN and of course Jimmy Smith to take over it's my final week of the year actually uh, a couple of more shows after this so in between now and Thursday I'll take you through my top 10 sporting moments of 2023 and you think about some of the stuff that's gone on this year try and squeeze that into a top 10 if you can. By the way, Jimmy and I will do a Christmas Day special like we did last year where we kind of butt heads along the way and we come up with our top 10. Um, so it's a it's a bit of a joint venture that we'll do on Chrissy Day, a little special to run you through. But think about some of the stuff that you've probably forgotten about. Do you remember that Novak Djokovic won the Australian Opens at the start of this year? His 10th Australian Open. It was major number 22, and then he won 23 and 24 throughout the course of the year. I think we've forgotten a lot. It's been lost, not forgotten, but it's definitely been lost in the wash what our Diamonds did at the Nepal World Cup with that big win over England in the final. You think about everything that's gone on around the Wallabies and Eddie Jones. You think about the big storylines around Liv and PGA Tour and how they've tried to get back in or get into bed together, that one's still to be decided. Think about the Commonwealth Games in particular, and if you've been listening to this program throughout the course of the year, and especially since it all fell apart down in Dan Andrews' land, we've been right on top of that story, and we've followed it all the way through. And then, of course, the Matildas, the NRL. I mean, you almost forget about what's been happening throughout the course of the year, and then throw in all the other World Cups. It's been a World Cupathon in 2023. So I'm going to do my top 10 for you. I'll do that on Thursday and let's see how close we are because the, the problem with doing that is, especially in a year like we've just had, somebody's got to miss out and not everyone's happy about it. But some of the big issues, just in terms of golf. Now we did the rollback issue yesterday. So, In the backdrop of what we've just had over the last couple of weekends in the Australian summer of golf with the PGA and then the Australian Open and all the other golf tournaments that have been going on around the country, we've got Liv and PGA Tour doing all their thing and trying to work all that out. And meanwhile, the rollback of the golf ball, which is going to come into play. And we went through this at length, so to speak, yesterday. It has been fascinating to watch former players, current players, Everybody buy into this one. Lee Westwood has said this distance issue has been a ball and driver combination. It's not just the ball. The driver heads got too big and they developed a ball to maximise this and vice versa. Who knows? We might get back to a place where hitting the driver out of the middle is rewarded again. Not a bad statement, I reckon, from Lee Westwood. And then further to that, there's some information around that the tightless professional ball that was being used in 1995, (laughs) right, 1995, if they put that under the current testing standard that they're going to do to roll it back, that 1995 ball won't be legal. It'll travel too far. It shows you how far ahead of the game they were for a long, long time, and the kind of stuff that they're going to have to roll back when they bring this new rule into place. it's I, I didn't think there'd be something else outside of live that could tip the world of golf upside down, but this one's an absolute beauty. Give me your thoughts on that, 0457 736 736. On Sports Day on SEN last night, James Erskine, who's David Warner's manager, covered a range of issues. He's always very, very forthright, James. He does not mind having his say former manager of Shane Warne as well he's been around Australian sport for a long long time now he covered off the David Warner um, wanting or hoping to get a farewell test match if it played out that way and the expectations around that but also on past players i.e. Mitchell Johnson taking aim at current players here's James Erskine on senator 1116's sports day
2: Mitchell Johnson was a fine player um, and, uh, you know, represented Australia, um, you know, I think got 300 and over 313 test wickets. And he's entitled to his opinion. Um, But at the end of the day, what surprises me is all these ex-cricketers who uh, basically have a crack at the current lot. I mean, you would never get that happening in golf where Arnold Palmer was criticising, you know, Nick Faldo or whether, you know, you know, Chrissy Everett would have a crack at somebody else, you know, who was currently playing. And I, I, I think it's a bit sad in a way. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I don't think... I'm sure they have an opinion, but I think it's to get a headline.
1: Now, I've got to call James Erskine out on this one and I've known James Erskine for a long time in this business. He was Shane Warne's manager for a long time. Warney didn't mind calling out current players in his commentary. And Warney was a former player. So let, let's just pull back a little bit there on that. He's going to defend David Warner to the hilt. And believe me, when he digs his heels in, you can't get him out of the sand on that one. And in terms of headlines... He knows better than anyone how to get a headline. And he knows better than anyone how to get somebody who's under his charge to look for a headline as well. So he gets it better than most. And I think he might have just tripped himself up a little bit in that regard. I'm all for it. You you can have your opinion and go for it. But you've got to be prepared to defend it, take it, admit if you're wrong. There's a couple of things that Mitchell Johnson said. I, I, I wish I didn't say the sandpaper part about Bunnings. And that's fair enough, too. When you've got an opinion, you put it in black and white. Sometimes you have to stand up the next day and say, oh, regretted that one. But James Erskine, I, I think he knows absolutely where Mitchell Johnson's coming from. But remember, he's defending his players and he's got the right to do that as well. one one 1170 is my open line number. Have your say this morning. Well, the Sydney Kings are on the road again Thursday against the Cairns Taipans. It's been a bit of a road trip, and of course, the Kings sitting fourth on the NBA ladder at the moment after that loss against the Perth Wildcats. Coach Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah is on the line. Good morning to you, Mahmoud. Um, your takeaway from the Perth Wildcats clash.
7: Good morning. Good morning, first off. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a battle the last couple of weeks, um, you know, going back to the New Zealand Uh, Brisbane games, uh, there's been some close ones. Uh, And then over our last two, and then, you know, the Perth game uh, was just up and down, um, and we had a great opportunity uh, ahead of us. Um, But, you know, they just uh, made a few plays towards the end, and uh, we didn't play for the entire 40 minutes, so we just got to play consistently for the 40
1: minutes. What did you make of the road trip over there? I mean, you played the Wildcats uh, already this season, but there's so much hype around this one, isn't it? Um, so your experience of the Kings v Wildcats hype?
5: Yeah,
7: for sure. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, with Perth, with Perth coming in on a uh, five-game win streak to the game. Um, you know, we won three out of our last four. Um, you know, we we've both been playing very well, and I, you know, the rivalry that uh, amongst both teams. Uh, everyone's been talking about it so it was great it was a great atmosphere um i think it was sold out uh, If all games aren't sold out, but it was uh it was a hell of a game
1: when you came over and i'm going to get to all this in just a sec but when you came over was there was there one game i mean i know that players for instance like to circle a game here or there on the calendar but was there one that people said to you hey coach you got to circle this one, and I wonder how how high on the priority list Kings v Wildcats was.
7: Yeah, you know, for me, honestly, um, not knowing um, the rivalries, but it seems like everyone's rivalry game is the Sydney Kings.
5: <laughs>
7: <laughs> uh, every every time we play them, I feel like I read or I hear that it's a rivalry game with Sydney. <laughs> uh, but no, but uh, truly, I'm I'm just beginning uh, to truly understand. But every game is um, a battle. Um, you know, it'll, after a week you can go to the top two. After a week you can drop to the middle of the uh, middle of the pack. So you don't want to let a win or a loss just kind of determine your prep for the next week. You just have to be able to move forward and you know get ready for the next one. So Perth um, was a hell of a game. I'm looking forward to the next time we play them. Uh, But we're just, uh, you know, moving forward and focusing on uh, Cairns now.
1: So from a competition perspective, the the up and down nature of of the NBL, and like you say, you can win here and go up pretty quickly. You can drop one and and go down pretty quickly as well. Was that what you expected from this league?
7: Uh, Honestly, not to the extent that it is now. Um, But, you know, it kind of has that just uh, that college kind of conference feel where, Every game, uh, everybody's laying on the line. Um, everybody's playing like it's a, it's a game seven. Uh, but I absolutely love the competitiveness uh, of both teams. Uh, everybody's playing till the end, you know, with the point differential. Um, and I, I was actually reading just uh, about the NBA and their in-season tournament on how the point differential matters and nobody over there is used to it. And they're used to, if you're up 15 or 20, the last five minutes is kind of, you know, just nonchalant. We're here, if you're up 10, 15, 20, it's like it's a tie game. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, But it's just fun. It's been fun to be around. And, uh, you know, hopefully we continue to build and ha- uh, have a strong uh, end of the season here coming up over these last 16 games.
1: We've been speaking to your players pretty much every week, and I normally get them on the way <laughs> to practice on the way to training early on in the morning and they know a couple of things they know that it's going to be fun but they know that it's going to be hard work and what you're going to put them through is going to be tough work what's been the reaction from your players to to your standards at the club
7: yeah you know we uh the biggest focus for us uh is just moving forward
1: uh wins and
7: losses just uh learn from it uh and move on to the next day and That's something that I've just uh, been preaching with our guys from day one. Um, You know, when we were on our uh, three-game win streak, uh, we move forward, move on to the next game. You know, we're on a two-game losing streak. We just have to prepare for Kansas because, as you know, I mean, you can be on a three- to four-game win streak uh, just like that, or you can go on a losing streak. And I just try to tell our guys and emphasize that with our guys so they can actually focus on getting better every single day. Um, individually, and they're preparing for our next opponent.
1: And it's a quick turnaround, isn't it, too? You're up there in Cairns on Thursday and then back home for Southeast Melbourne Phoenix on Sunday. So you're on the road and you're on the move. Can you just talk to me a little bit about Sean Bruce's 300th match, which was that game against the Perth Wildcats, and also the performance of Jonah Bolden as well?
7: Yeah, first off, I mean,
1: um, congrats to, to Brucey. Uh, I believe he's the 112th player, if
7: I'm not mistaken, um, to notch uh, 300 games in the NBL. Um, Just his path of where he's been and where he's come through, um, to have a pro career as long as he's had anywhere, um, I think is a great accomplishment. So I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. Um, And I'm glad that he's on our team just with the leadership aspect that he brings as well. Uh, And then Jonas, Jonas is putting forth the work. Um, You know, we know how talented he is just being away um, from the game for the last couple of years. Um, He's continued just to improve uh, every single week. And, um, you know, he's shown over the last two weeks. And obviously, you know, going seven for eight from three and putting up the points uh, and stats that he did in Perth. um, I'm happy for him and hopefully he continues to progress and have a great weekend uh, this week.
1: Have you been keeping your, your eye, obviously, on what's been happening at the NBA and at the Rockets in particular?
7: Uh, yes, I, I definitely have, and I, uh, I've been staying in contact with those guys as well.
1: <laughs> and what about, what about the questions? Here's what I want to know. What about the questions they're asking you about your gig over here?
7: Yeah, no, you know, they just ask me, just like everybody's asked me here,
1: what is the difference? You know, (laughs) like you know, what's the
7: biggest difference between the NBA and the uh the NBL? And I and I tell them, uh, what I just told you is that there's no days off, there's no load management. (laughs) Um, if if a guy is healthy or maybe he's in pain, he's probably gonna play, and they're playing every second of the forty minutes. (laughs) Um, they're not taking any plays off, so they're they're playing hard and. But i tell you one thing, uh, credit to Adam Silver and the league. The in-season tournament, I think, has uh, taken the competitiveness up uh, a couple of notches. So it's been fun to watch. And, uh, I don't know if it's, been, uh, if it's been this competitive over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's been crazy. Just a couple of things before I let you go. Now, I, I, when I was... I was looking at a, at a video when it was originally announced that you were coming to the Sydney Kings. So you were still over there in the US, and and you did a, an interview with one of the guys from the Kings. And I got to say, your 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 mate, I, uh, you threw out the mate, and it wasn't it, it just wasn't <laughs> hitting the mark, MacMood. It was So have you got better in the in the pronunciation of mate?
7: <laughs> um, let, let's give it a shot, mate.
8: <laughs> it's be-
7: i'll tell you this
1: much it's better than what i heard the first time around you're getting close to the mark the other one was what you knew of sydney um and, and there was a couple of things that you knew about sydney poisonous snakes and and spiders and and your wife was really interested in the best beaches that we've got and how safe this place is but i want to know what you know of sydney now versus what you thought you knew now that you've been here for a while Honestly, uh,
7: just, uh, just the people around, uh, just how genuine and nice uh, that everybody is um, as individuals, um, you know, having the ability to travel around all of Australia, not only Sydney, um, just getting a feel for people. So, number one, just uh, I feel everybody's um, great. It's a great community, um, great people all over. Um, but then just, you know, the safety, the cleanliness of uh, Australia and just how beautiful it is. Uh, and obviously, now you don't move it into summer, so and my wife is still enjoying everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and did you work out that Tim Tams are better than Kit Kats? That was one of the other things that you thought you knew about,
7: yeah, definitely. Tim Tams are much better than Kit Cats. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Good stuff, mate. Hey, listen, um, best of luck against the Cairns Taipans. And then, of course, you come back home and you've got the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So fourth on the ladder after the 12 games so far. It's been great to catch up with you. Thanks for your time this morning.
7: I appreciate it, my friend. Go Kings.
1: (laughs) He's a good man, isn't he? And good fun with that chat as well. And we certainly appreciate the time. We can go straight to the open line because James is on the line. Uh, we've been talking about treatment of referees this morning, James, especially in in English Premier League or football.
8: Yeah, uh, we've got two ways you could stop it all this charging up. One, that you get the football association, especially in soccer like in England, and make it or FIFA could do it. You say only the captain can approach the referee during a game, and he has to do it in a respectful manner. If any other player charges up to the referee, he gets one warning to go away. And if he doesn't follow that referee's decision to go away, he's red-carded instantly. Red-card, off you go and you get a week's suspension the following week off. That way, it only happened for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden it finally clicked through their bloody big heads, big heads, that we can't do it. That way you'd stop it. It'd be harsh. They'd say, oh, it's too harsh. Well, then don't do it and you don't worry about the red card. But the second way is one I'd love to see happen. Everyone says the referees can't talk. Let the referees talk. And during a game, what I mean is like, then during a game, if a player misses a goal and he should have scored or he misses has a bad shot, goes off there, let the referee and the linesman and maybe even the fourth official run onto the field, surround the guy who missed the shot and laugh <laughs> at him and abuse him and give him the same serve they give the rest. The, you know, give them that and let them do that. And if someone missed the tackle, next time the play stops, run. they all run on and surround the guy and give him a view. I reckon that would be hilarious to see. And eventually they go,
1: oh, let's just put to the rest, let them do a backfield. Yeah, yeah, righto. Eye for an eye is what you're saying. Okay, that's an interesting one. I haven't heard that one before. Look, on your first point, because your first point is is already in motion, your first point about getting only the captain to approach the referees is part of the discussion that was around... Remember, we had the discussion around um, sin bins in between yellow and red cards. And that's also part of that process. So part of the process is that captains can only approach the referee. Now, I think that should be an absolute no-brainer. I can't see any downside to that whatsoever. And I think we've got to show that... Th- that This kind of behaviour is unacceptable and you take away the people, I mean I know you're taking the mickey from the other side of it, but you take away the amount of people that are in the referee's face, you take away the amount of um, anger that's being directed at him or her and then away you go And, and you leave it up to the captain and if the captain goes over the top, then the captain gets marched and then you're right, you set the example. Um, you always throw a good curveball at me, mate. That was a beauty. In terms of just referees having their say, um, that's a hard one because I think you, if you, if you <laughs> take your scenario out of it, I think you open up a real can of worms if we start to hear more from the referees. You would love them to be able to have a say on the way back, but you know how it's going to end. It's just going to be a conversation where they get slammed no matter what they do. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't because 50% of those listening will not agree with them based on the colour of the shirt that they're wearing, as in the colour of the shirt of the supporting team that they're wearing. (laughs) So I'm all for the captains having that role and that role only and leave everyone else out of it. And then it's up to the captain. The referee shouldn't have to stand there, mate, get off, get off, back away, back away. The captain should say, hey, Jim, John, Fred, get lost. I'll deal with it. And then it's up to him and the referee to go face-to-face. It sounds like a pretty simple way to do it, and the rules are being forecast to go in for next season, I think it is. Uh, we need to go to the news. We can come back and take... Thanks, James. Appreciate that. Take more of your calls on 1300 01 three hundred o one eleven seventy. Thank you, Vanessa. Final half hour of the program. Uh, NBA will be getting underway. So the in-season tournament, quarterfinals, starting pretty much as we speak. So I'll keep you across the Pacers and Celtics and Kings and Pelicans still to come. On the text line, get this one from Jason who says, um, just to change the conversation around golf, can you imagine all of the club golfers now buying dozens of golf balls And then using them in the future to make up some extra yardage imagine trying to police that i totally agree with you i mean i've been researching like crazy this decision uh, its implementation thoughts of leading pro players hackers everything and that's one of the things that i just can't see how it's all going to work i mean You and I, I don't know how much golf you play, Jason, or what you're off, but, you know, I'm a social golfer and I love the game and I've been playing for a long, long time, but I'm certainly not into competition nowhere near as much as what I used to be for a start. So the the rules that apply to us don't necessarily or really come from the world of golf. I'm sure that we've got clubs in our bags that we shouldn't have and all that kind of business, but this is a rule that goes across all golfers, professionals through to everyday hackers. And to stand there on the first tee of your local club and to look up and if you somebody says which ball are you using, you know, even if you're playing a Wednesday C-grade match, whatever it is, then h- how do you go about that whole conversation? Oh yeah, this is the Titleist from 1995 that I got <laughs> And by the way, it's going to go longer than the one that you've had to buy last week. This is the part that that I can't get my head around. Exactly what you say at the end there. Imagine trying to police that. That's why I think, I know that there's a huge kerfuffle about it and I, I I get all the information behind it and they are running out of space on tour. There's no doubt about it. So I'm happy for them to offer some form of control over the professional side. But after that, I don't know how you're going to police it, and I don't know what purpose it serves. So we'll have to see how that one plays out, but I appreciate that. Matt in Ibswich says, there is an amateur T20 cricket league that already has a steal and double play, and you've sent me a link, so I'll have a look at that a bit later on. But it was a good one, wasn't it? The double play in T20, I think it'd add something to it, Um, just be a little bit different. Dan says, so when David Warner starts commenting uh, commentating as of next year with Fox. He's signed a contract waiting for his re- retirement. He'll be the next shock commentator akin to Warney. And you're not very um, not very nice towards what you say after that. I don't think at all that Warney was a shock jock commentator. I think Warney was one of the great insight commentators that we had. And I think he was quite literally getting better and better as each summer went on. I mean, effectively, it was somewhat of a new skill in relative terms. And I remember when he passed away and we had a chat with a man, Mark Howard, and Howie and Warney were forming a double act that Howie has the ultimate respect and had the ultimate respect for Warney, but also loved his character as well. And Warnie had the ultimate respect for how he is a broadcaster and was learning of him. So I, I wouldn't say that. And what type of commentator David Warner's is going to be, I don't know. I'll tell you who's going to make a very good commentator, and I spoke to him about it oh, a month or two ago now, is Usman Kawaja. Very thoughtful, very measured, got great insights, obviously knows, loves, and has achieved at the highest level of the game. And he's ready to take that. He's already in there. Um, look out for him. In coming years, when it's becomes more of a profession instead of a uh, a gig alongside what he's currently doing, the Wallaby Spring Tour likely has been put out there by the Sydney Morning Herald and nine newspapers this morning. The Grand Slam is on, folks. So, Australia v England, November nine at Twickenham; Australia v Wales, November sixteen at Cardiff; Australia v Scotland, November twenty three at Murrayfield; and Australia v Ireland in Dublin on November thirty. So just one after the other. Four test matches in a row. The last attempt at a Grand Slam tour was back in 2016, and that also included a fixture against France. Australia defeated Wales, Scotland and France, but they were beaten by England and Ireland in their final two matches. The Wallabies will play three tests in July. Sydney will host a Wales fixture at Allianz Stadium. And South Africa will travel to Australia for two tests. One of those will be in Brisbane on the 10th of August. And then the Wallabies will embark on a two-test tour of Argentina, which is part of the Rugby Championship. The All Blacks will be at Stadium Australia in Sydney on September 21. So this is all around hospitality information that's become available on Rugby Australia's website. I'm not sure if they, if they meant to put it out there. Sydney hasn't seen a Bledisloe Cup match since 2020 and if you were there that night you didn't want to be that was Australia getting a 43 to 5 hammering and then of course the Wallabies will face the Kiwis in New Zealand before their European tour so the Grand Slam is back on do you remember the 1984 Grand Slam winning team the first Australian team to win the Grand Slam they are part of the Sport Australia Hall of Fame The Team Sport Australia Award in 2002 went to the Wallabies of 1984 that won the Grand Slam. They scored 100 points in the four tests, 12 tries scored in the four tests, most scored by any touring team. And the third test win against Wales was the first time an Australian team had won three in succession on a tour of the UK and Ireland. And, of course, famously, Mark Ellis scored a try in each of the four test matches. I can still see it. A feat that was never before achieved by a player in a touring team. Michael Linus scored 42 points in the four test series. They were incredible. Coached, of course, by Alan Jones and captained by Andrew Slack. What a team. The 1984 Wallabies that won the Grand Slam. And we were hypothesising when we were taking a look ahead at the Wallabies Spring Tour for next year about joseph suali and quite a lot of people were pointing out well it wouldn't matter if they started in october because his contract won't end at the roosters until november the first officially and phil war and daniel herbert have have made the point that they're going to honor the deal with joseph suali so we've worked out here that if the roosters made the nrl grand final next year which will be played on october the 6th then the first game for Australia v. England, and if Joseph Sualee was handed the Wallabies jersey, that'd be 31 days in between playing his last game of rugby league and playing his first game of rugby union as an Australian player, if they decided to do it, because it's November 9. So I'm assuming that his contract kicks in straight away. And why wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to be a day unemployed if you've got a four to $5 million contract waiting for you to go to your next employer's. But that's the news out of the Wallabies and good to see that the schedule is in front of us. Not sure if they meant to do that, but that's um, off the corporate hospitality information that's on Rugby Australia's website. Good to hear that the Grand Slam is back up for grabs. Let's see what happens in between now and then because at the moment we don't have a coach. There's no coach of the Australian team. Still a long way to go in between now and next season kicks off. 045-77-36-736. Adam says the T20 double plays a great idea similar to baseball. Yes, Tony says I've been banging on about this for ages, Matt, and I've sent text to you before. The soccer referees just should be allowed to carry a spray can of mace. <laughs> Between you and James, Tony, <laughs> I reckon you're coming out with some pretty good left field ideas back after this break. Welcome back. Let's get some coins on the table. 2am, Tommy, with his two cents worth. Uh, He's just been patiently sitting by, waiting to buy into some of the discussion points that we've had today. And there's been quite a few as well. Have you got a curveball for us, Tommy?
0: Morning, Matty. Morning to all the listeners
1: out there. Yeah, another great day. I've got a curveball for you, Matty. All right? And I really hope it doesn't happen,
0: but I've just got a curveball for you. What happens if David Warner... Right. Let's say between now and the 14th of December, which is the start of the first test. So between now and next Thursday, kicking off the wacker. Um, God forbid, fingers crossed, it doesn't happen. He tears his ACL. Oh, hang on. Hey, <laughs> <Hang
1: on. laughs> where did that come from? I'm ball just saying. saying
8: it's
0: cu- well, it's a curveball. Yeah. God forbid, I don't want it to happen because I want him to. I want him to say, well, He's been a champion of Australian cricket. But I'm just saying, we've been talking about this non-stop. I would. I think we've been talking about this and going around in circles about David Warner and his future for honestly the past three summers, the mm-hmm. Australian summers, it seems that every every single time this same story comes around. But my, I'm just saying, like, what happens if, God forbid, I what do not, not want there? it to happen. I'm, what happens if he's not there? Who steps up?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. So do they look outside and go, OK, let's take a look at Harris, let's take a look at Bancroft, let's take a look at Wrenchall? Do they go try and... Uh, and 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 just slot somebody in, or do they look from within? Uh, I I haven't really thought about it, but look, but let's say that for whatever reason, let's hope it's not an ACL. But let's say that for whatever reason, David Warner isn't there for that first one in Perth, and they have to come up with another opener. I I get the feeling that they might push somebody up, depending. Uh, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, depending on possibly what happens tomorrow and the start of the game or the, the next four days at Monica Oval. I mean, if Marcus Harris or Bancroft or Renshaw go out and go crazy again or show what they, um, what the selectors want, I mean, Bancroft's got a bank of runs there anyway, but I, I'd have the feeling that they would push from within and just make that shuffle.
0: Yeah, Maddie. if I'm going to be really honest, I'm not a massive fan of Marcus Harris. I think some of our listeners would agree with me. Um, if I was to order, if I was to order the three in terms of who I would like, in terms of coming back into the Australian lineup, it would probably be Matt Renshaw one, Cameron Bancroft two, and Marcus Harris three. Uh, Marcus Harris, he's had 14 tests, averages of 25, three half centuries, top score of 79. Um, Renshaw's got a got a a test century to his name. Bancroft, I think, he averages around 26 after 10 tests. So. So Harris, Bancroft, and Renshaw, I think the most... Harris and Renshaw both played 14 tests, and Bancroft had played 10 tests. So I know it's tough to look at their record after that, but it it may give you an indication. But in terms of other cases, you look at Matthew Hayden, Steve Waugh, Justin Langer, how those guys started, they started slow as well with the bat. The key guy, Matty, that I'm looking at, and I'm looking at this lineup right now for the Prime Ministers' 11, is one Cameron Green. He got a 96 last week for Western Australia and the Sheffield Shield before getting caught by Michael Nyssa at Gully. I think if he can perform, maybe, as what you alluded to, it could put some some thought in the selectors' mind around, okay, could we move a Travis Head up the order? Could we move a Manus Labashane up the order? And could we then slot in Cameron Green in that four or five position in the batting lineup? I know, Usman Khawaja, you played that audio this morning, spoke... Um, yesterday about how tough it is to transition to opening the batting but I would take that risk and move in a guy like Marnus or moving a guy like Travis Head up the order before I was to bring in a, another guy like a Marcus Harris or maybe a Matt Renshaw and Cameron Bancroft mm. what do you think there
1: yeah, yeah 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 that that's my initial thought my initial thought is that especially if it was you know, what is it? We've got a a week out, a week and a couple of days until the start of that test and that's not a lot of time to get somebody out of the mindset of Canberra and back into the Australian squad, even though Cameron Green's playing in that Prime Minister's 11. So I would, uh, and and remember they're playing in Perth. So yeah, I would be Mm -hmm. leaning towards that style of thinking by the selectors. They wouldn't want to upset the squad as much as they could avoid it.
0: Yeah, um, before I go back, so you've been speaking about kind of the future of Australian sports broadcasting and this landmark deal between the ICC and, um, and Amazon Prime. And we spoke about it before the show, many about could it open the doors for the AFL or, as we speak about it, at length, the NRL. And I would love to see... I'm not saying I would love to see it happen, but I would like to see the NRL entertain the proposal that, hey, when the next team comes in in 2027, whether it's looking most likely at its PNG, I would love to see a return of Monday Night Football, and then I would open up the rights to Monday Night Football to even another free-to-air broadcaster, which could be unlikely, depends on what, or a streamer like, like Amazon, like we've seen in with the ICC and the cricket deal that they just they just negotiated.
1: Yep, Uh, look, I think I absolutely agree with you and I think that Monday Night Football in particular would play more towards a streaming company than it would towards a free-to-air network because I think that they've got more to gain on a Monday night from streamers' perspective and you've got more to lose from a Monday night in terms of programming from the free-to-air. So I'd be happy for them to take a look at Monday Night Footy for sure. Content is king. Right, And we've now got more players in the marketplace. Therefore, they will need more content to go around. And that's how the big pot gets filled with money. It's an interesting one. I reckon we might have to take a good look at that tomorrow and go into Monday Night Football as well. Because it's been there before. It kind of worked and then it kind of didn't. But now I think we can look at it because, as you rightly point out, this this time around, next time around, we'll have another team back in the mix. So we'll have Papua New Guinea, say, back in the mix. And by then, in particular, the streaming giants will be even bigger. And the the viewing platform and the viewing um, habits of, of those that are watching and how they're consuming it will have changed dramatically in between now and then. It's only four years until the next TV cycle kicks in. They'll want to get the deal done as quickly as they can and try and lock it up. But yeah, food for thought. I reckon Monday Night Footy, we'll take a good look at that tomorrow, maybe relive some of the past memories of MNF. Nice work, Tommy. Some two cents buying into some of the issues. You can have your say. 0457 736 736 is the text line. If you want to be the final call today, do so. 1300 0111 70. Afternoons with Jimmy Smith is coming up. Golf Australia CEO James Sutherland will be Jimmy's special guest coming up and the golfing theme then runs into True Crime Tuesday, because the Run Home Boys are going to be live again from Moor Park Golf Club and their special guest journalist Caro Meldrum Hannah for True Crime Tuesday. So that will be awesome. Looking forward to that right here on SEN tomorrow. We've got a lot of cricket. We're also going to take a look at Monday Night Footy if we can and try and relive some memories. But Greg Shippard will be along from the Sydney Sixers. We'll have a chat with Barat Sundorayson and, and Ken Peace cricket author will join us as well thanks for your company we've run out of time on this tuesday morning hand it over to jimmy make sure you are part of the show and we'll do it all again tomorrow bye for now have a great day everybody